0: We come to our Bible reading. Uh, It is 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 16. So uh, 1 Samuel 18, beginning at verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. His refra- this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he replied, but me with only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and Daniel led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just pray, Lord, for Mark as he comes up to expound what you have given him in this teaching and of this word that we may know more about you. Amen. Thank you, John.
1: Good morning, everyone. Oops, I can't get down there. So last time I was here, um, I said I wanted to use my next few sermons to take a look at David. And not just the stories we know about him, David and Goliath, Bathsheba. But what was it about David that makes him who he is? There just seems to be something about David And I wanted to explore what it was and what it means to us. So today we're going to look at the words in verse 12 and verse 14. That the Lord was with him. The Lord was with David. What does it mean that the Lord was with him? What does it mean for us, for the Lord to be with us? Perhaps it sounds obvious, but we sometimes say, may the Lord be with you. In fact... If we were at All Saints today, and this is a good test for this congregation, and I said, may the Lord be with you, you would say? Oh, well done. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. And sometimes we say that the Lord is with us in a particular situation or a particular time in our lives. But what does it really mean? First, though, let's recap on what we looked at last time, because it was a while ago, And I want us to see how these two sermons will link together. Last time we read from Acts chapter 13, where Paul is preaching to the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch, and he takes them through the key points of Israel's history, and he shows that at every stage it was the Lord who acted, including the fact that it was the Lord who would remove Saul as king. And it was the Lord who had found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. take his place and we noted the fact that Paul must have been quoting from 1 Samuel 13 where the Lord tells Saul that his kingdom would not endure and that the Lord had sought out a man after his own heart and we explored what this meant what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart I started by saying what it wasn't it definitely wasn't about what good we may or may not do or our own moral character. No, we said it was God's sovereignty in choosing people to serve him. That God not only chose David, but that he had a very specific role in mind for him. And in the same way, I think this applies to us. It was God who searched and found you. And he knows exactly what role you're gonna perform. And it's our job simply to listen And to be willing to serve in whatever way we can. I also said that to be a man or a woman after God's own heart was about obedience, that God demands obedience to his will. But we said that maybe obedience wasn't the best word to use. And perhaps we should say instead that David was compelled to please God. He cared about what God cared about, and he was willing to do everything for God even though he wasn't perfect and he didn't always get it right. And again, this also applies to us. We're called into a relationship with God, a relationship that's more about obeying and duty. It's a relationship where we want to adjust our lives to match what God's will is for us. And we said it summed up well in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart And with all your soul and with all your mind. And then when we fall short, we should come to God with heartfelt sincerity to say sorry and to ask for his forgiveness. So now let's bridge the gap between 1 Samuel 13 and today's reading from chapter 18. So we left Samuel, the Lord's chosen prophet, telling Saul, the king of Israel at the time, that his reign would not endure because he had not kept the Lord's command and that the Lord had sought out another and appointed him ruler of his people. But David doesn't even know all of this yet. In chapter 15, verse 28, we find Samuel telling Saul the same kind of thing after Saul had made things worse by failing to follow the Lord's command to destroy the Amalekites. And Samuel said to him, "'The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. Then we finally meet David in chapter 16. And we touched on it last time. We read that seven of Jesse's sons were presented before Samuel, but none were chosen by the Lord. And they had to send for David, who was still out looking after the sheep. And some of you laughed when I said I related to this next bit, because David was glowing with health And had a fine appearance and handsome features. And I I thought that was a bit rude, actually. (laughs) But anyway, the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. But one verse we didn't read, and I wanted to pick up from here this week, was verse 13 of chapter 16, which reads, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. It's the first time David's name is actually mentioned. And David means beloved, by the way. So the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, which is a phrase commonly used in the book of Judges when the Lord empowers a person to deliver Israel from oppression. And from that moment on, we see a phrase repeatedly popping up. And when something's repeated in the Bible, we know to take note. And as an example from verse 14 in chapter 16, we read that Saul is looking for someone to play the lyre for him because an evil spirit from the Lord was tormenting him. And one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave, uh, brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. And so David is sent for and he enters Saul's service. Next in chapter 17, we can read the well-known story of David and Goliath. And I've already promised not to dwell on it too much. Except for this bit, when David is speaking with Saul to convince him that he can face Goliath, he says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So, to his credit, Saul recognizes there's something about David. And he sends him to face the giant. And when David faces up to Goliath, he tells him from verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, for the battle is the Lord's. Surely this is the crux of the matter. David has great confidence that the Lord is with him. But more on this later. So then we get to today's reading in chapter 18, and let's take a quick look together. In the opening verses we read about a lovely exchange between David and Jonathan. This relationship is probably worthy of its own sermon. But for now, let's just note that Saul's son, Jonathan, loves David and makes a covenant with him. A covenant that they would always support each other. And this was a covenant not only with each other, but also with God. Because God himself had made them friends. Jonathan gives David his robe and his tunic, which symbolizes that he sees David as Saul's rightful successor. And he even gives David his sword and his bow. Giving your sword to someone in those days was a sign of submission to one who was greater than you. And by this time, David had become a military leader of Saul's forces because whatever mission Saul sent him on, he was successful, which seems to have pleased everyone. So Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And people were so pleased. Even the women came out from all the towns, dancing and singing this little song. However, Saul understands the singing of the women to be exalting David over himself. But the numbers weren't supposed to be exact. The song was never intended to make him inferior to David. It's a common feature of Hebrew poetry for one or more terms in the first half of a verse to be intensified in the second half. So the song was meant to declare what a fine team David and Saul made. But Saul interprets the ditty in the worst possible way. And seeds of suspicion begin to grow. And perhaps he remembers Samuel's words that the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. We then read that Saul's suspicions result in attempted murder. An evil spirit from God rushes upon Saul. Now the Hebrew word may describe something that's troubling or annoying, not necessarily evil. So we shouldn't understand it as some sort of demon possession. Saul's position as king of Israel was never easy. With the Philistines a permanent threat and the unity and support of Israel doubtful, Samuel's rejection must have also undermined his position and his mind. So in that sense, Saul's evil spirit was likely to be his anxious state of mind. In any case, we read that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul so the lord had departed from saul but not in the sense of a salvation way rather the spirit was no longer empowering saul to be king and lead the nation and instead the lord was with david it was david's most important characteristic and more than any other human quality accounts for his persistent rise to power it's a phrase used of other committed believers in the old testament the Lord was with Joseph through everything that he went through, which we can particularly see in Genesis chapter 39 when he's in prison. And we can read that the Lord was with other great figures like Moses and Joshua. And the Lord was with, was with the whole armies of the Israelites as they fought their battles in Canaan. And the Lord was with Samuel himself, which we can see in chapter 319. However, Saul was afraid of David, so he sent him away. David was removed from court, which would be intended to decrease his visibility and popularity, as well as to increase the risk of his dying in battle. Now, where have we heard that before? Isn't that exactly what David did with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? But I told you we weren't going to dwell on that. Anyway, the effect of Saul's scheming is actually the reverse. David is brought into closer contact with the people so that all Israel and Judah loved David. Now, if David had died in battle against the Philistines, as Saul hoped, then he would be rid of his massive threat and no blame at all would have attached to himself. But since the truth is the Lord was with David, Throughout all of these events, Saul's plans were bound to fail. The more Saul plots and plans David's downfall, the more successful David becomes. Because the Lord is with David. Now it seems to me there are two main things we should take away. When we consider what we've heard so far. And what it means that the Lord was with David. And what it means for the Lord to be with us. Firstly, it seems clear to me that we're to understand that God is in control of all things. And that our job is to trust that God is with us. We saw it in chapter 15, God's providence at work. Saul doesn't know about David's anointing. But the Lord sent a troubling mood on him. Which he needs to have soothed by music. And who does the servant know? David. Not only is he a fantastic shepherd, but he's also a skilled musician. So David is brought to court and into Saul's service. The biblical writer is making the point that God is in perfect control of all events. But not just that. We also read that it was God who was fighting uh, with David against Goliath. And it was God who brought Jonathan and David into a covenant relationship Which clears the way for David to assume the throne in time. In fact, we read that everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. It seems to me this continues from the first sermon. There we see Paul reminding the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch that it was the Lord who acted at every point in Israel's history, including the removal of Saul. And the fact that he had found a man after his own heart in David. And now we're seeing the unfolding of events subsequent to it, all still under God's careful control. In Psalm 103, David writes about this fundamental attribute of God. And we talked about this last time too his sovereignty. That God has complete authority and control over all human beings. And over every aspect of the universe. But this also means that luck. And good fortune have no place. In a discussion about him. And because God is good. We can have full confidence. In his absolute and loving control. Over every aspect of our existence. You see when we trust in the Father's sovereignty, we stand on two assurances. The first is, is that he's intimately involved in our daily lives. No matter what, he never stops providing, protecting, and caring for every believer. He knows what we need for today, and he knows what we need for tomorrow. And the second assurance is that the Lord will work every circumstance to our benefit without exceptions. When situations are more demanding, our confidence may waver, but scripture promises that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8. And this claim makes sense only when we realise that God is in complete control. So let me ask you a question. If God is not in control, then who or what is? If no one or nothing is in control, does that mean everything that happens is the result of chance or luck? If we replace God's sovereignty with sheer luck, We're simply saying, there's no plan or order in the universe. And we're merely the victims of circumstances. And if that's the case, if that's what you think, then sometimes you'll be happy, but sometimes you won't. But most of the time, you'll be unfulfilled, and you will always fear the future. However, if we know that God's in control, we can find peace in those assurances from the Father. First, we find comfort in the fact that the Almighty God, who is in absolute control of everything, is intimately and continually involved in our individual lives. And second, because God is good, we have the assurance that He'll work all things out for our benefit. Now, it may be something painful hurtful or seemingly impossible. But when something happens that's painful or unexplainable, does that mean that God's lost control? No, it can't be. Because we know that all things happen because God allows them to. And this hope enables us to step boldly into the future. Because we know that God will be there for us, protecting us and guiding our steps. Now, perhaps you're facing some kind of personal trial today. It could be work or a relationship or have something to do with your finances or illness. Part of the good news is that even as we experience trials, we can have the confidence that we'll pass through the trouble. God will not abandon us or leave us stuck in our our difficulties. Christian maturity is partly our ability to rejoice when things are not going our way. We can rejoice merely in the fact that we are at the center of God's will. Remember the story, God allowed David to face Goliath. God allowed David to face this giant. And if David had sat down and passively accepted it, he would have been crushed. Goliath was permitted to enter David's life by God. But David rose up, and in the spirit of the God, he conquered him. Just because God allows something into our lives, just because God allows a giant into our lives, doesn't mean he wants us to stand by and be crushed by it. If we properly handle difficult situations, we will come out better on the other side. And the second thing I think we need to take away from today is that God being with us will be visible to others. And some will love us for it, and some will want to throw spears. And it's important how we respond to both. People will see something in us that makes us different, makes us stand out. We saw it with the servant who knew that David was a skilled musician, he knew that the Lord was with him. How did he know? There must have been something about David that he could see. Saul's son Jonathan saw it too. So much so that he gave over his birthright and recognized David as the rightful king of Israel. And we're told that almost everyone else loved David. The soldiers and the officers in the army, the people of Israel, particularly the dancing and singing women. But Saul didn't love him. Saul was jealous. Saul wanted him dead. But whatever Saul tried, he could never contend with the plans that God had for him. When God begins to move in your life, people will start paying attention to you wherever you go. And at times, this can be good attention. Like the kind, that help, uh, the kind which helps you find those that can aid your way, aid your journey. Sorry, Or you find others who appreciate your help along the way. However, there's another kind of attention that you may receive when the Lord is with you. You may encounter those who either hate or resent you for what God's doing in your life. And as you progress in your calling and your relationship with God, these people will emerge and try to either silence you, diminish you, or try to convert you back into one of them. And it's not about proving these jealous people wrong. It's about witnessing God being right about what he's cultivated in your heart and life. The first and best thing you can do is to remain faithful and committed to what God is leading you to and through. As we've seen, David literally had spears thrown at him, but he still refused to murder Saul or to take a shortcut in his journey to becoming king. Your job is to serve, love and follow God And do it in a Christ-like manner. So that the majority of people recognize what God is doing. Just like the crowds did with David. So don't fear the Saul in your life. Don't allow those who are broken. Or who haven't had the truth revealed to them. Or those who are jealous. Don't allow them to convert you back into one of them. Just seek God and continue to be faithful with what has God has given to you so that you can discover your true purpose. So what do we know about how David did respond? Firstly, David acted humbly. Though everyone loved David and praised him, he didn't let it go to his head. He continued to serve Saul and the people for their own good. And he humbly looked to uh, to the good of others. And second, David acted wisely. In all four instances where the text says that David was successful in our reading today, it can also be translated that David acted wisely. David continued to do what the Lord had called him to do. He played the liar for Saul. He went on military expeditions for Saul. David fulfilled the duty to which he was called. Thirdly, David never retaliated. When Saul held his spear at David, he simply evaded him Twice. Even when Saul was David's enemy continually, David did not react in kind. And finally, David remembered his anointing. David knew that he was the Lord's anointed servant and that he would one day become king. And so he constantly prepared for the service that he would render to the Lord. Now, perhaps people have been jealous of you and even attacked you in some way, they may be intimidated by your strengths which make them conscious of their own shortcomings and it would be natural to strike back or to avoid them but a better response is to befriend them and to ask God for the strength to continue to love them as David kept on loving Saul. David remained humble even when the entire nation praised him. Although David succeeded in almost everything he did, And became famous throughout the land. He refused to use his popular support. To gain advantage over Saul. So don't allow popularity to twist your perception. Of your own importance. It's comparatively easy to be humble. When you're not on centre stage. But how do you react. To praise and honour. And finally David points us to Jesus Christ. Like David. David. Jesus acted humbly. Even though he had many enemies, he served them to the very end. Like David, Jesus acted wisely. Jesus did everything the Father called him to do. Like David, Jesus never retaliated. Especially at his crucifixion, where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He did not retaliate against the cruel treatment. And like David, Jesus remembered his anointing. Jesus was the anointed servant sent by his father to save sinners like you and me. And finally, in the book of Isaiah, we read that the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And 700 years later, a virgin from Nazareth named Mary gave birth to a little boy. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy because he was literally God with us. He was fully human, yet fully God. And he made his home among us so that he could reveal God to us In Jesus, God walked with us and he talked with us so that we could identify with him and he could identify with our human struggles. But our Emmanuel will be with us forever. After his resurrection from the dead, before Jesus returned to the Father, he made this promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Nothing can ever separate us from God and his love for us in Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us into relationship with you. Heavenly Father, if there's someone sitting here today that doesn't yet have that relationship, Lord, I pray that you call them into a relationship with you, call them into service so that they can see what a life with you with them means. Lord, I pray that you build us up day by day, that you provide for us, that you keep giving to us, no matter how much we stumble, how much we fall. Please, Lord, keep reminding us that you are with us to the very end of this age. In Jesus' name, amen.